All right. Well, we want to continue for a few minutes today our study of the book of Daniel in the third chapter. And a few weeks ago, we looked at the first half of the chapter about the problem, the issue of uh, the friends of uh, Daniel uh, uh, being challenged with uh, worshiping uh, this uh, statue, most likely of Nebuchadnezzar, right? Remember that in chapter 2, Daniel tells him his dream, and uh, it seems that Nebuchadnezzar uh, is uh, perhaps fixated on the fact that he is the head, and the head is of gold. And so the next thing you see, he makes a statue of gold, and he wants everybody to bow down to this. Uh, and uh, a word comes back to him that of the, um, the, uh, the leaders, the civil leaders of uh, the Babylonian um, uh, area of, of, um, of Babylon, that, uh, the, um, that these three would not bow down. And so uh, they can no longer work in the system, so to speak, as we learned, and they testify that they will not bow down even if they die, right? Even if they die. And so we saw last time what happens, that they're thrown into the fire, right? And we saw their testimony of faithfulness, okay? And we talked all about that. The fact that they realized that they may die, that there was no guarantee of physical deliverance uh, in, in their life. And that's kind of where we left off. So today we want to uh, uh, continue uh, and see how they were delivered and, uh, and what that means. Okay? All right. So here, let us um, look in uh, verse 19. Okay, we'll start in verse 19. So Nebuchadnezzar, who... Um, at one moment is happy and calm and seems to recognize the God of Israel. The next moment uh, is in a rage and is ordering the death of people. Okay? A very unstable man, it seems. Okay? All right. Uh, beginning in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was... Uh, usually heated, and he commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and other clothes were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame and the fire slew those men who carried out, who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astounded and stood up in haste. He responded and said to his high officials, Was it not three men? We cast bound into the midst of the fire. They answered uh, and said to the king, Certainly, O king. He answered and said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the the son of the gods. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of the blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's high officials, the same people who bowed down, right, gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on their bodies, the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor was their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who, had sent, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Now let's stop there. Okay, so we see that uh, now we have, so to speak, the rest of the story. So the throne in the fire, uh, the king is uh, very upset, okay? Uh, he is, uh, 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 he, he so much wanted them to, uh, you know, to bow down and, and not to uh, show their disrespect for him. And so he's angry, they, they heat it up even farther, so much so that some of their own people die in the midst of, you know, of, um, of putting these three men into the, into the fire. And then we have the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar. So this is kind of interesting. It doesn't just say, Daniel is not uh, just simply saying, and this is who was there, right? You, you, we don't read, and so there were four men in the fire. One of them was, no. What we're reading is the perspective of Nebuchadnezzar, all right? So we're getting his eyewitness account of what he sees, and how he describes it. All right. So in verse 24, first of all, the king is astounded. He's astonished. He can't believe what he sees. He stood up and he says, you know, give me a reality check. Weren't there three people that went into this fire? I said, oh, yes. He said, but I see four men. And now look, they're loose. They're not tied up in their clothes anymore. And they're walking around in the midst of the fire without harm. And in addition, this fourth one looks like a supernatural being of some sort, but a person, a son of the gods. This would not have been, in Aramaic, by the way, uh, unlike, uh, here's a, unlike Hebrew, it's definitely gods, <laughs> okay? It's not like um, it could be God or gods. It's gods in Aramaic. Uh, and so uh, this phrase is, is not uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's confession of faith in Messiah Yeshua. Okay? But from his point of view, he sees that something supernatural, is, he recognizes like a god or, or some figure like a god is, uh, is there uh, with the three who are now walking around in the midst of the fire, okay? Uh, and so now he recognizes, he had, all, he had asked the question earlier in the chapter, what God is there that will deliver you? And so now he sees there is a God who's delivering them, right? So he recognizes that they've been delivered through some supernatural way. 
Now, the Jewish understanding of this, if you read, uh, you know, Jewish commentary on it from the sages, uh, there are several choices of, uh, of angels. Um, it's kind of interesting. There is the angel of hail, who volunteered for the job of, quen- of putting out the fire. Uh, but Gabriel wins the day, uh, and he is attributed with this uh, deliverance. Uh, in, uh, in, I would say, the majority of the, of the sages. But it is very interesting here that Nebuchadnezzar recognizes this one who looks like a person uh, and seems to him to be a supernatural person. So now he uh, releases them. He says, come out, you servants of the Most High God. Again, this phrase, Most High God, did not necessarily mean the... Most high God of Israel, okay? But Nebuchadnezzar recognized that their God, whoever their God is, delivered them, okay? Okay, so they come out. They come out from the midst of the fire. And uh, uh, we see the fire has no effect on their bodies. So this truly is a miraculous uh, deliverance that takes place. And the text goes out of its way when you observe the text We see that their hair was not singed, their trousers were not damaged. There wasn't even the smell of fire uh, upon them. Truly, uh, uh, God had done uh, this work. But now Nebuchadnezzar, in his, now this great momentary uh, uh, euphoric moment of of praising uh, their God, says a few other things about God this uh, about what has happened. Uh, He says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him. So first, he uses uh, the word for angel, which in the Bible can mean varieties of things. A messenger uh, is used in the Tanakh in a variety of places, uh, for a manifestation of God, the angel of the Lord, for example, right? In a number of places, right? All right. Now, so we see he sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him. And then he describes their courage, their courageous trust. And he says, violating the king's command. And then he says, yielding up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. So, Nebuchadnezzar finds this amazing. So there's two sides of the coin here that are amazing. It's amazing what has taken place. It's amazing to think about the power of the god of these men. And it's amazing their trust in their god, that they would uh, they would violate the king's command, which meant almost always death, and that they were not concerned about their own skin. They were not concerned about uh, about their own uh, their own welfare. Okay, so here they draw a line in the sand. They say we will not. You know, we can only worship God and not man basically, as we read in other places uh, in the text, right? Uh, And uh, this uh, becomes a a tremendous testimony. Now, 
there are, like we said, there are, so who is this fourth person? Before we go back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their great courage. So who is this fourth person? Well, needless to say, I mean, it seems obvious to us that it is a, at least from the text, what we see is that it is some form of manifestation of the presence of God that who has delivered them. Whether Nebuchadnezzar understands it exactly uh, or not. And we see that God has manifested himself in angelic beings in other places in the Tanakh that go way back. For example, I'm not going to mention them all, okay? But you can think of some that I'm not going to mention. But like the captain of the Lord of hosts. Here, this angelic presence, the captain of the Lord of hosts. Uh, this is holy ground. Joshua has to take his shoes off. Joshua understands this as being in the presence of God. Okay? Uh, going uh, even before that, you have um, Hagar and little Ishmael. Well, young Ishmael, not little. Uh, who uh, has to, who's kicked out of the house, right? And they're in the wilderness and she's weeping and she's afraid they're going to die. And so uh, this manifestation of God this angel of the Lord appears to her and tells her that she's not going to die and so on. Her reaction is, I have seen God. Not I had a dream, not I had a vision. I have seen God. Then you have another one, and that is in the book of Judges. Uh, in the 12th chapter, I believe, when the mother and father of Samson, you've heard of Samson? Well, his birth was very interesting and it is chronicled in the book of Judges. And his mother could not bear children. She was barren, like many of those other stories, you know. She was barren. This angel appears to her, says to her, she's going to have a child. She says, i got to go get my husband. His name's Manoah. He comes. He hears the same thing. He says, who are you? He says, my name is too wonderful. Isn't that interesting, right? Uh, and then ultimately he sort of in a fire, disappears. What is their response? We have seen God, yet we have not died. And so God has indeed manifested himself in varieties of ways in the form of people being called an angel, an angel of the Lord or this messenger. Now, it's interesting because in the book of Daniel, you have this figure. We haven't encountered him yet. It's in the seventh chapter, but... Since we're, uh, since we're in the neighborhood, we'll look at it and we may learn in future messages that there's some relationship to chapter 3 and chapter 7. We'll see. But Daniel has this night vision. Okay? And he says, and behold, this is in verse 13 of chapter 7. <clears throat> and I looked in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. And all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is, not, is one which will not be destroyed. Okay, well, we're, we'll learn more about this later on, but you have this Ancient of Days, which is understood this is God. So then who is this Son of Man? Who is this person that looks like a man coming in the clouds? So <clears throat> there was no shortage of speculation 
uh, you know, in the second century and in the first century uh, before Messiah came, of who this is. Are, are, there, are there like two gods? Is there like God and then there's like a subordinate God? Who could this be? And the people who were speculating were Jewish people, learned Jewish people. After This is after the time of the prophets, after the time of the close of the canon of the Hebrew Scriptures, but before the time of Yeshua, right? And of course, you know, uh, by the way, uh, you can read all about this in a book by Daniel Boyarin called The Jewish Gospels. Jewish Gospels. Uh, but the point is, is that when Yeshua comes, he gives clarity to this passage. And he identifies himself as this Son of Man. So that's fascinating that he is indeed this one. However, it's interesting going back to chapter 3 that somehow God manifests himself in the form of a person. How? Nobody knows. Nobody knows how. But he does by observation. He does. And even here in this vision, there's the Ancient of Days and there's the one, the Son of Man, coming in the clouds. But there is only one God of Israel. And for another time, but I'll just say it, Yeshua gives clarity to how that could be. Not the mechanism of it, but the fact of it. Okay, That there is only one God. But the Hebrew Scriptures are quite clear that God can be everywhere, but that He can manifest Himself in a form of a human being in, on a particular day, in a particular hour, to particular people. It's quite clear from the Scriptures. And so... Here in chapter 3, we have here, somehow God manifests himself. And it is clear from the testimony of this pagan king that there's something different about this one. There's something different about this one. And he calls him a son of the gods. Okay? All right. Now, so there's a few observations uh, that we could make. Uh, about, about this situation. First of all, there's a famous uh, little phrase that comes, that might, might come from this, but they were not delivered out of the fire, they were delivered in the fire. Okay? Now, their deliverance could have happened in a variety of ways. It could be that they couldn't get the fire to start in the furnace. Or that somehow they escaped and they didn't go in the furnace. Or that somehow Nebuchadnezzar, or that some great miracle was done before they went in the furnace. But no, God allows them to go in the furnace. And to experience whatever a person experiences facing imminent death. And this fourth person isn't, isn't reaching in the fire and pulling them out. This fourth person is in the fire with them and somehow delivers them. It's interesting. We don't read. We just read there was four, there was, that they're loose, they're walking around, and there's an extra person in there who looks like a son of the gods. That's what the text tells us. We don't know how they were delivered or all, they know is, all we know is how Nebuchadnezzar saw this and the testimony uh, that it was to him. And so there are some great truths here. First of all, 
I have to reiterate what we said at the end of that last message a few weeks ago, and that is, is that there was no guarantee of deliverance, and they knew it. And they said, even if we die, we will not uh, disobey our God, no matter what. Okay? So they had this great uh, courage and trust, cultivated faith in God. And so a question that we must ask ourselves is, you know, am I prepared for whatever situation may come? You can't get prepared when it happens. You have to come in prepared, right? And so, uh, you know, we need to ask ourselves, how important, what is the value that I place on being built up in the Word of God? What is the value that I place on prayer, on community, spiritual community that builds us up? And all the things that, you know, spiritual disciplines and living my life in a certain way uh, and recognizing that, well, that it's not just about me. And it seems that, that uh, in the mouth of Nebuchadnezzar is this great observation that evidently it's not only in the hearts of these men that they would only serve God at any cost and that they were not the most important, uh, their, their own lives are not the most important thing, but it manifests themselves in what Nebuchadnezzar could see. He sees they had the chutzpah, the audacity to disobey me. And they trusted in this invisible God who manifested himself, but in this invisible God. This was astounding to him. Not only that, but like the text says, they yielded up their bodies so as not to, not to serve or worship any God except their own. They yielded up their bodies. Doesn't that just remind you very much of many New Covenant passages? One, of course, that really stands out in Romans chapter 12, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So these three men were not conformed to that world. They were transformed in the renewing of their mind, they knew in whom they believed. And they therefore could prove what the will of God was, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, they yielded up their bodies. Present your bodies. Yeshua speaks the same way when he talks about bear your cross daily, right? That is simply a, a word, uh, cross was uh, the form of uh, capital punishment in that day. And so <clears throat> we usually read a passage like that and say, well, you know, we have to, we have, to have an attitude and, uh, you know, uh, of selflessness and kindness and so on. But we are whole people. And there are times when, you know, it's not just an attitude, it's not just in our heads, but that there is truly a way of living that testifies to who we are. What do we do with our bodies? What do we, do, what do we put on our bodies? What do we, where do we take our bodies? Uh, how do we present our bodies? And ultimately, am I willing to give up my body for the sake of righteousness, for the testimony? 
And it's amazing here because a good portion of the book of Daniel is about how the kingdom of God uh, trumps the kingdoms of this world. And what you see here in chapter 3 is on an individual basis, not a cosmic basis, and not in the form of some grand prophetic statement, but in the lives of these men facing a particular situation, they depict that stone in chapter 2. They depict that mountain in chapter 2. They depict that kingdom of God overcoming the kingdom of this world because they outwardly were willing to die rather than serve this king. And so here we see in chapters 2 and 3, we see a cosmic picture you know, of, of nations and empires and, and the cosmic kingdom of God overtaking them. But in chapter 3, we see how individuals can make that kind of difference. Now, we may not face Nebuchadnezzar. We may not be in the presence of a literal king. But we do testify wherever we go of the presence of God and of this kingdom, regardless of the cost to ourselves. It is not true that our physical life is all that God is concerned about, as it is often depicted in our evangelical world. No, it's not about the wonderful plan for my life. It's about the wonderful plan for the life of this world that God has and that we get to participate in. See? And it may require a cost. But here's the great thing. The great thing is, is that no matter what, God will never leave us or forsake us. Remember, they were, these men were living before the resurrection of Yeshua. We are living after the resurrection of Yeshua. We are living in a day when there is historical evidence of life after death in Yeshua. And so in our own lives, no matter what takes place, we know that at first on one level, an invisible level, we have been delivered from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. We know that Yeshua, like this fourth person, came into the fire, experienced life in this world and the temptations of this world, the sufferings of this world. And he goes even further. He has taken away our sins and his resurrection begins the future of Israel today. And so, whatever fire we may be in, we have the deliverance of Yeshua. And we need to have the very same attitude as, uh, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that no matter what, we are not going to bow to the king. Because we have an assurance of life forever, uh, of life forever in, in him. Uh, and so, uh, we see here now Nebuchadnezzar's reaction. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb 
and their houses reduced to rubbish heap, and as much as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. If only Nebuchadnezzar could stick with the program. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of, uh, of Babylon. Uh, and so uh, we see here that in the story, and the, this story is meant to encourage us that God indeed does deliver, that he's more powerful than Nebuchadnezzar, no matter what. And so I encourage us all to meditate on a story like this. And may we realize that God indeed loves us so much that he never does leave us alone. And you know, it is interesting. You read in Exodus and you read in Isaiah in passages about deliverance. God says, I will never leave you. It's in uh, the uh, chapter 3, I believe in verse 12 of Exodus. And in the 43rd chapter of Isaiah, I will never leave you. And then Yeshua, not coincidentally, but on purpose, says, I will never leave you, even unto the end of the age. When he says, I will never leave you, he's not simply saying, you know, uh, you'll be thinking about me forever and, and that'll be great. No, he's, it's like a Christological, it's, it's a messianic statement. I will never leave you, just as the Lord told Moses and through Isaiah to the children of Israel, I will never leave you. Just as uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had this assurance as well, I will never leave you. We may indeed experience the fire, but what we always need to remember is that indeed there is deliverance. Not necessarily out of every situation. What we learn here, finally, is that God can do it. This is a, this is a, a particular situation with these people and he can do it and if we are not delivered if 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 we if we feel well god didn't god didn't fix this or he didn't heal this or he didn't do this one it doesn't mean he can't it means there may be meaning in whatever i'm experiencing because you see he is indeed lord of all and indeed he is more powerful than nebuchadnezzar and he demonstrates it right here but if we are waiting for deliverance from something and we do, it doesn't seem to be happening, may I suggest that there is therefore meaning in it, even if we don't quite understand it. And the, what we, what, one thing we know for sure from the, the scriptures is that some aspect of the meaning is it, in it is perseverance and patience and long-suffering and that I trust God even when he doesn't meet that expectation. You know, it's easy to say God is wonderful if there are no uh, problems. Isn't that the whole, well, the whole deal with Job? The whole story with Job? Right? And so it is uh, indeed with us. I know my Redeemer lives. And so did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. May we be able to have that kind of testimony in this world. May we be able to demonstrate that the presence of the kingdom of God is indeed in our midst. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you, God, that at the right time and in the right way, you revealed the Messiah. The Messiah came. Yeshua came in a miraculous way, born of a virgin. And that, indeed, the very enfleshment of the God of Israel. And we thank you, God, that you indeed care so much for us, that you are not a far distant God, but that you are imminent, you are close. 
And thank you, Lord, that via the Ruach HaKodesh, you dwell even within us today. Lord, may we be able to demonstrate in the midst of all kinds of persecution, may we be able to demonstrate, Lord, faithfulness to you. For no one can take away uh, our uh, salvation. No one can take away our relationship with you. The only power that anybody in this world ever has is over our flesh, Lord. And so, God, may we cultivate, may we today be in the business of, uh, of being built up, being built up, being built up, Lord, so that when the day comes, we can respond readily, just as these three men did, knowing in whom we believe and uh, in the power of the resurrection. And we pray in Messiah's name.